welcome to Thrive in Design, a podcast about making money and beautiful interiors as it relates to product-based businesses in the interior design industry. Each week, we'll discuss innovative strategies on how to approach product development and design sales in a shifting market. I'm your host, Nicole Lachey-Ben. Hello and welcome Lily Turner to the Thrive and Design podcast. Lily currently serves as director of Greenwalls at an award-winning green building firm, Urban Strong. Urban Strong has a mission to integrate nature back into cities in a way that efficiently promotes profitability, health, sustainability, and beauty. The Urban Strong team has installed hundreds of thousands of square feet of green building projects throughout the greater Northeast over the past 10 plus years from buildings including iconic landmarks, schools, offices, restaurants, condos, and brownstones. Today, Lily works closely with architects, designers, and contractors to best offer a technology suited for their budget, design parameters, and scale. I look forward to hearing more about her journey as a biophilic designer and living wall specialist. So welcome to the show, Lily. Yeah, thank you for having me, Nicole. Very excited. Yeah, so Let's dive in. I always like to start with my guests to learn a little bit more about you before we get to learn more about the company that you work for. So tell me, what has your career journey been and what inspired your passion for biophilic design? Yeah, sure. So I've been working with Living Wall Systems for nearly 10 years now. I took a gap year after high school to do AmeriCorps, which, you know, their disaster relief division, essentially a domestic peace score, but Two of my projects I was really working with in the community and working with invasive species and repairing drip irrigation systems in fields. So that was really interesting. And then when I got back, I linked up with a old high school friend who was going to school for environmental engineering and learned about living wealth just on one slide, one of his classes. And we kind of just got to talking and, you know, started building a prototype and then really it just took off from there. We actually incorporated as a 5123 because we envisioned, you know, massive, like large public accessible exterior installations like you see in Europe or Asia or South America. And then quickly, you know, we scaled it down and we developed a, a really proper system for interior environments that architects and designers could use, you know, as a tool in their toolkit to offer their clients, not to set their designs apart from maybe their competitors. Oh my gosh, that's an amazing story. So I have so many questions before we dive in even deeper. So you mentioned that you did time with AmeriCorps, that you were doing these things in certain places in regards to drip irrigation. So let's roll back and break that down. Like what made you sign up for AmeriCorps? Like what led you down that path? Sure. I guess all around my just general attitude towards life in high school, you know, it's assumed that, you know, when you're in your high school age, you're arrogant and, and naive. And I was looking for a different perspective or a different lens to see the world. Um, and I wasn't ready for college because I knew I would continue to party and not take it seriously. So my family, knowing me, suggested AmeriCorps, which is pretty intense. Your ego is shed fairly quickly and you work with these amazing communities that have experienced disaster and, and poverty and, and disease. And, and you just are there to serve at whatever project is needed at the time. And this was post-Katrina. So six months of my time was actually spent in Baton Rouge and New Orleans. There's still plenty of work to do down there with rebuilding bombs with Habitat, pre-humanity and other community organizations. That's very commendable, especially like to dive into that at such a young age. So fast forward, you went through that experience 
And then you also talked about building a prototype and then getting into this field of green walls and building a product for interior environments that can be used, you know, to bring the outside in. So what's that process for you of building a prototype in this interior product space look like? It was really difficult. They, I mean, <laughs> there was a lot of trial and error, to be honest, especially because a lot of these living walls appreciate a non-recirculating or an open loop irrigation system, which involves connecting to the building's plumbing water source as a non-potable operation. So we very much drilled into my business partner's family's home, <laughs> tapped into their pipes, and, and they were really great through the whole process. But they don't really teach us in school still. And this was 10 years ago. So I speak to universities and, and high school classes, any chance I get, you know, they graze over it. They talk about the benefits, but no one really gets into, a, you know, there's no course or design around implementation and, and design considerations, which I teach still to this day via my CE presentations to architects and designers and developers and engineers. There's what's all needed and required from a building standpoint, mechanical, electrical, and plumbing. Right. So, and shout out to the family that let you <laughs> use their home as a prototype. I couldn't even imagine if somebody was, you know, tapping into my plumbing system to make it work. Right. But <laughs> yeah. yeah, just working off YouTube videos. And oh my gosh. Up. Like, all right, we're going to need to cut this open here. <laughs> oh my gosh. I can't even imagine, but shout out to them. <laughs> so we've hinted a little bit at living wall systems in the last couple of minutes. So tell us, a little bit about Urban Strong and what you all are doing over there. Yeah, so Urban Strong is a green building firm on a high level or more fun. We literally and figuratively green buildings via living walls or preserved moth wall systems or green roofs, whether it's rooftop farming or just simply a menu deck for people to relax after their workday. And then also we deal with advanced stormwater systems and solar integration to our green roof designs as well. I lead up the, the green wall department at Urban Strong, which is a lot of fun, but depending on the day, I could be designing or doing admin work, which is the worst, or I could be on site actually building these walls, hooking up the irrigation. It, it really just depends. So sometimes I feel like a designer, sometimes I feel like a project manager, and sometimes I just feel like I'm in sales. Wow. So you're wearing like all the hats in order to bring the project to fruition. That's amazing. Yeah, it's good. Yeah. So one of the things that stood out to me for Urban Strong is the mission that you guys have on your website. And it, it said, our mission is to integrate nature back into cities in a way that efficiently promotes profitability, health, sustainability, and beauty. So what are some ways that Green Walls and all the different products that you guys have promote those things? So the profitability, health, sustainability, and beauty. Right. Yeah. So Urban Strong, or just green infrastructure in general rests on this foundation that is biophilia or biophilic design. And it just recognizes, you know, humans' innate connection to anything natural. So this explains why, you know, the crackling of a fire or the crashing of oceans waves, or even just a walk in a park restores and regenerates us. So taking that idea and saying, okay, how can we now design an interior space or even an entire block or community and really maximize those benefits? So there's three pillars of biophilic design. My playground is nature in the space. So it's quite literally bringing the natural world in or even water elements such as like an aquarium. So you kind of recognize that, you know, simply life is attracted to other forms of life. And when you're in those natural settings and exposed to that, then all these environmental, economic and uh, social, physiological and psychological benefits can come. So just for an example sake, uh, let's say an office setting. I don't know if you've ever worked in corporate America. I spent one year there and I was miserable. We had flickering lights 
dated carpet, cubicles, maybe three windows on the entire other side of the room. And it really affects your mental health. You know, you get irritable, you don't perform as well. But now you're seeing uh, large companies like Amazon, Google, Etsy, which is right in Dumbo next door to us. And their spaces are incredible. Not only do they have green walls, but they have amazing natural light. They have wooden slatted walls and, and smoke baffle searings. And they recognize that this not only can promote employee retention, but also enhance their cognitive function, uh, whether it be they're more creative or they make you know, 10 more sales calls in a day or whatever. There's an ROI associated to that. The psychological and physiological benefits are a bit harder to quantify, but they're definitely there. And there's a substantial amount of case studies and white papers and journals um, produced around this uh, on even a monthly basis now. There's a lot of information out there to support these benefits. Yeah, I remember years ago when I first got my start in sales in the interior product industry, I was working for a laminate company and one of our CEUs was around biophilic design. And it was specifically tied to, you know, the benefits and the studies done around bringing just like natural wood tones mm-hmm. into the interior environment. And we did like a deep dive specifically on that, on healthcare environments and how mm-hmm. biophilic design can help people heal faster. So right. I haven't even done a full deep dive on how that affects people in the workplace, but as you said, it could have such a huge impact. I too have spent like time in corporate America. And again, I'm like, why am I unhappy here? Right. Right. The work is fine, but the environment is not so great. So then it's interesting, like as the workplace has been shifting, especially post pandemic, um, I'm curious to see how companies kind of adjust to to bring biophilic design into their, you know, new offices or downsized offices or even push that for when people are working from home. Yeah, it's it's tricky. Like you definitely need to know your audience. And and to be honest, my script completely changes depending who I'm chatting with, whether it's a CFO or an interior designer or just a like-minded client. Of course, as an environmentalist and a biophilic designer, I want to talk about the psychological and physiological benefits or even environmental benefits for exterior living walls, like, you know, increasing biodiversity and reducing heat island effect. However, I realize the world, the capitalist world or country that we live in, and I really need to just focus on the ROI. And frankly, if these large companies just want a green wall for the aesthetics or to bolster their branding or for greenwashing, frankly, I don't care because it's still educating. And it's, again, exposing people to nature. And I just hope that, you know, long-term that rises the tide, you know, for everyone's intent on, you know, our reasoning for getting these. So they're very much the Swiss army knife of uh, green infrastructure or um, design, I think. So whether you want it for the aesthetics or for the air purification or just to, you know, absorb sound, you still get all the other benefits with it. So you don't have to choose. Yeah, I love that. And I love that you also mentioned that your conversation about these systems will look different depending on who you're talking to. So let's dive into that really quickly. So say you're talking to a developer, right? And they are not on the design side. They don't understand the benefits of biophilic design. What does your conversation look like? And how is that different than talking to a designer who's specifying these products? So I would say, not to be crass, the developers, you don't want to throw something up as fast and as cheap, of course, as they possibly can, because they want, you know, an a lot of, especially in cities like New York and, and Chicago, they build to spec, so they don't necessarily need an anchor tenant. It's actually just chatting with a developer about this the other night. So they don't want it sitting empty and they want to fill the space. So that conversation, I'm usually more focused on the ROI benefits 
And really, I'm highlighting the fact that the chefs are building or they're lobbying away apart from, you know, the other competitors that are just on the same block or even on the same street. You know, in New York, we densely build versus when I'm speaking with interior designers and architects, a lot of them are doing their due diligence. And I've heard that the clients aren't necessarily asking for these green elements or these natural elements in the space. So really on the architect and designer too, if they're presenting three or four options to the client, you better have one or at least two of those, you know, really focus on a, a biophilic interior. It's just where we're moving. It's progressive and it's it just needed. So we're trying to shift the conversation, I think, for these systems not to just be seen as an amenity, but a necessity. You know, this this is needed as we continue to build and expand with our material. A lot of designers are also focused on reducing the carbon footprint, which is inevitable with all products because you have the fabrication, the transportation, and the people building it. And, you know, there is a carbon footprint, of course, associated with the living walls. But I believe after they're installed, you know, the benefits that keep coming, coming off that, that. Right. I love one phrase that you just said is not an amenity, it's a necessity. So I know that you guys have a few different products, including your living walls, moss walls, green roots, and beyond. So what are some things that specifiers need to consider within those different systems? Sure. So there's lots to say. So let's just focus on the green wall part. But I would say what sets Urban Strong apart from other living wall companies is that we're not exclusive or beholden to one technology. We believe that not one size fits all or there's no universal solution for green walls. So only after a careful assessment of the client's goals and most importantly, the design parameters and the space parameters, do we recommend a system that we think is best suited for, again, the aesthetic goals, the budget, and the space. So meaning I wouldn't use our, you know, Tesla technology that is highly engineered, patented, you know, interior hydroponic system. If a client comes to me and says, hey, I only have, you know, let's say $5,000 to green this lobby, I would then move them towards, you know, our preserved moss, which doesn't need water, uh, doesn't need light. So there's cost savings there and essentially it can be hung on the wall like a piece of art. So it's easy to retrofit. You know, you don't need to get in during the schematic phase when the building design is being planned. If they do want a proper or large scale living wall, we get in as, or we try to get in as early as possible. It just makes it for a seamless design and, and it's more cost effective for the client and reduces the risk of change orders, which can be sometimes an all too true reality for, for clients, unfortunately. So we work with the MEP teams, mechanical, electrical, and plumbing, because again, we need water running to and from our green wall. So we need to coordinate irrigation paths, drainage, and of course, that we need to specify the correct material of those pipes. A lot of plumbers work with copper. However, our fertilizer, albeit organic, still can break down copper after, you know, the fifth, seventh, eighth year that we've found. So we really want them to use, you know, PVC or CPVC or even stainless steel, something that's non-corrosive. And then lighting, of course, is crucial. So even if there's natural light in the space, you know, let's say a skylight or, or large windows, we still want to control our minimum foot candles flashing every square inch of the green wall. So interior designers, of course, are very picky and specific about what kind of lighting matches, you know, the rest of the ambiance in the space. But I think the lighting community has come really a long way. And I have to applaud them because before you would see those heinous purple and red lights that could produce enough strength for the plants to be happy that, you know, lights that you still see with cannabis growth or even vertical farming. But now we can get pretty close to that warm yellow and still give the plants what they need, uh, which is really nice. That's awesome. And so I know you mentioned that the MEP teams would be a part of your process. So when somebody is specifying, at what point during their design process should they be reaching out to you to work with your team to make sure they're specifying the right system 
that integrates with everything, with yeah. the new space and, and all the things. So with the architecting, probably during the schematic design, just so they understand, again, what's required of the green wall. And I don't mean to make living walls seem high maintenance, but again, we want to be as the most cost effective as possible for the client. And of course, we want the garden to thrive, not just for a few years to come, but for decades. Some of the living walls that we work with, they're made out of inorganic growing medium material. So it's not the best sales pitch, but they will outlive the client. And so we design for just long-term goals. And uh, sometimes when green wall installers and designers just want to push the project through and they don't push back on the, the lighting requirements or the plumbing requirements, and it just leads to either the facilities manager having to handle the watering or the plants getting really leggy and small leaf and, and just, you know, the back system's exposed and it gives a bad name for the living walls, just, you know, industry in general. So we try to do our diligence and be as transparent about our requirements and our needs as early as possible. Yeah. And that's really interesting, as you probably saw in my facial reaction when you were talking, <laughs> that the living walls will outlive you. I mean, that could be your new tagline for <laughs> forever. Yeah. So well, t- tell me more about the process after. So we talked a little bit about what that is, that specification process looked like. Mm-hmm. But tell me about the next steps, like the installation after and maintenance. Sure. So if it's you know large scale, and I would when I say large scale, I mean anything probably over 100 or 150 square feet. We like to work with this hydroponic system that is actually locally sourced from New Jersey and uh, the owners of this system have a really nice greenhouse in New Jersey. And so we'll pre-plant these modular panels before we deliver them to the site and we'll grow them out in the greenhouse for about two months or so. And we do that for a few reasons. One, so you just get a lush tapestry of plants day one of installation. Some systems you plant on site and if they have restricted cubbies and you have to wait for these small four-inch pot of plants to really grow and cover the system, that's not at all the case with this more sophisticated system. And then two, so the plants have a chance to stabilize or almost reach homeostasis, if you will, which ultimately cuts down on resources needed ongoing to maintain the wall. Okay. Since you guys are a design build, are you also servicing these walls after installation in a project? We are. And, you know, I was just thinking, it was like, mainly it's me running all over the tri-state area on a weekly basis. But yeah, we offer uh, ongoing maintenance too. And I, I don't know how living other living world companies are successful without offering maintenance. Again, living things just need maintenance. I mean, you referenced your son a few times. <laughs> like, can you imagine sticking him in a closet and then after 18 years, be like, all right, how'd you do? Oh my God. <laughs> then they need attention. Again, depending on the system, it's usually a monthly servicing. And our servicing is essentially a warranty or almost insurance. So it covers everything from minor, uh, major system component repairs Trimming and pruning, of course, plant replacements if needed, fertilizer recharges, pest prevention, treatments, just everything that it would need just to keep it really lush and, and looking good 24-7, yeah, 365. Yeah, I feel like I need that a miniature version of that service just for the five plants that I have. <laughs> Mikey, right. <laughs> yeah, they need maintenance. All right. So I feel like we covered so many things and understood what sets urban strong apart from competitors, the process, the specification, all the many facets and benefits of having these systems in the built environment. Is there anything else you want to share about urban strong that we have a cover? Actually, we are putting a lot of time and energy into our Instagram and social media accounts. So if your audience has Instagram, I'm sure they do. Please check us out. Give us a follow if you would be so kind. 
and just we try to release projects which are now happening, I feel like on a weekly basis as fast as we can. So yeah, we've got some good stuff coming. Awesome. And then if somebody is listening and they're like, okay, I need to learn more about Urban Strong and how I can get these products into my next design project, what would be their next step? Yeah. So we have a ton, arguably maybe too many call to action buttons on our website that says contact us, drop us a line, et cetera. But our website is urbanstrong.com. And I'm sure after five seconds of being on the homepage, you'll be prompted with one of those. So if you have a project, please reach out. We get free consultations and we really just need to know the height and the width and, you know, overall design direction that you're thinking to get the conversation started. And then again, if you're curious about our past projects or our future and are an avid social media user, our Instagram is urbanstrongnyc. Yeah, please reach out on any of those lines. We're, we're very active on it. And yeah, we pick up projects from really any scale. I mean, 25 square feet to 600, 700 square feet we're working on right now. So it will sound good. Well, Lily, it was amazing having you on the show today. And I can't wait for the audience to hear. Yeah, thank you for having me, Nicole. Thanks for joining us this week on Thrive in Design. Be sure to follow us on Instagram at Thrive in Design. And for more strategies on how your product company can innovate in the interior design industry, head to training.thriveanddesign.co. As always, subscribe to the show to catch every new episode and leave us a review so we can continue to create captivating content. See you next week. Thank you.